0: Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. Good morning, good morning. You guys alive and well? Man, so good to see you guys. I wanted to encourage you that we had our biggest Sunday uh, last Sunday that we ever had in the history of Fountain Church. And... uh, and I wanted you guys, I wanted to encourage you guys because I talked to so many people that had never been to church before. And that's because you're inviting your neighbors and your friends and just extending the love of Jesus outside of these walls. So can you guys, let's give Jesus a big hand. And now you can give yourselves a big hand as well. Well, listen, we're embarking in a new series entitled I Am. I Am. Uh, and we're going to be looking at the very words of Jesus. Jesus is probably one of the most misunderstood um, person in history. I mean, he's, everybody has an opinion about him, but we're going to look at who he says that he is. And uh, so I'm excited as we embark on this together. A um, couple of quick things as we dive into this. I'm, I'm not going to actually preach from the I Am statements today, but I really want to set the tone Uh, For the series, and really uh, give you the heart of where we're going, and you'll see why that's so important. So, I'm gonna speak to you today from the subject of face to face. Look at your neighbor and say, Face to face. Look at your second choice and say, Face to face. All right, would you pray with me? Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, thank you for the brief amount of time that we share together. Lord, I thank you that you are in this place. And Lord, I ask that every word from my mouth would be from your heart, and that today's message would not be um, just a matter of eloquence um, or creative speech, but a demonstration of your Spirit's power that would transform us from the inside out. Lord, we thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you that we live in this beautiful Bay Area. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, I wanna take you back to a story that I tell every second Sunday in step two. So if you're going to step two today of our growth track, you will hear the story twice. So you're really gonna get it on the inside of you. And it's really important. But about six months into Jackie and I being married, we, uh, my father-in-law and I went on a hunting trip. And we're about 30 minutes into the journey and I started to feel a little bit homesick, like I missed my wife. Now. You know, for a guy, I'm I'm trying to pump myself up like, come on, man, you're going to hang out with the guys, you're going to shoot some guns, and you're not supposed to be like missing your wife at this moment. But to give you a little backdrop, Jackie and I have been serving together for a little over 16 years. Um, In ministry, we've been married for uh, this August to be 12, and so we really feel like it's a grace on our life, because one of the common questions I get all the time is, how in the world?" Do you guys work together, live together, play together, do life together, and never get sick of each other? And it's just really a grace that we feel like God has given us um, to do what he's called us to do. And so we're, we're about 30 minutes in, and it just feels awkward to be apart from my wife. It's not codependency, all right? It's just a little bit awkward to be apart from her. And, uh, and it's a little bit embarrassing Uh, because we were only 30 minutes into the journey and we were only going to Gilroy. Uh, So it wasn't like like we're going on this long, extensive vacation. But one of the things that that I discovered as I was uh, being removed of my man card was I laid my head down on the pillow at night and we're out in the wilderness in this big metal shed and the Lord gave me a picture. And in that picture, I know that it wasn't just for me, but it's also for you. And I believe it's gonna paint a great picture for where we're going in this series. And the picture was this, that I could tell you a lot about my wife. I could tell you what makes her laugh, what makes her cry. I could tell you what makes her smile. I could tell you intimate details about her. I could tell you the way she cuts her cuticles. I could take you on a journey. I could tell you a lot of facts about her. But there's something about being in person with her, there's something about gazing into her beautiful face that makes all those facts come to life. And I'm afraid that as we enter into this series, the temptation will be this, the temptation will be that we just kind of garner a few more facts about Jesus, but never really make it personal with Jesus. In other words, let me tell you like this, we need a personal experience with Jesus not just personal facts about Jesus. Now this can be a little bit challenging because according to social psychologists, we live in a day where impersonal impersonal relationships precede personal ones. Like we're very good at knowing people impersonally, we're not too good at knowing people personally anymore, let me explain. So Facebook, social media, that's the land that we're living in. You can learn a lot about somebody from Facebook. You can learn their name, their family's names. You could identify some of their passions, what they like to eat, what frustrates them. You can understand a lot about a person just by perusing their Facebook, but it doesn't mean that you actually know them. It's still very impersonal knowledge, if you would. And it's interesting to me because uh, the social psychologists say that you know it's impersonal knowledge if they're more of an acquaintance, but you can have a conversation very easily. Let me give you an example. I follow several pastors on Facebook, and I got to meet one of those pastors a couple months ago uh, from Alabama. I got to meet him personally, and it was really easy to engage in conversation. I've never met the man in my life, but because of his Facebook, I knew that he likes race cars, and I had just used a race car illustration the Sunday before, so as soon as I saw him, I said, amen. Dude, you gotta hear this illustration, right? And right away, we just connected and we clicked. Conversation's flowing. Appreciate you. Yeah, appreciate you. Right, great to see you. All right. But if you were to ask him today, how was your conversation with Matt Lacey? He would say, Matt who? <laughs> An impersonal knowledge. Because personal knowledge looks a little bit different. Personal knowledge would have said, hey, let's go beyond the race car and maybe go grab a bite to eat. And maybe in that conversation, he's exposing me to some things that's not uh, out there for the public to see. Like in that moment, maybe he's expressing some of the hopes that he has for his family or maybe he's expressing some of the fears and pressures that he's facing in ministry. Or or, or maybe he's talking about some of the joys that he's walking in and really enjoying in his life right now. See, that, that, that takes it to a whole another place. A lot of times, we don't get to that place in relationships very often because our schedules are so crazy and, and, and life is so, uh, it's going so fast. And so unfortunately, we're really marked by a lot more impersonal knowledge than we are personal knowledge of people that we would call friends, even some people that we call family. <laughs> and that's not what the Lord wants for us in this series Jesus does not want us just to gain some personal facts about who he says he is. However, the facts are important, and I'm not negating the facts, but however, the facts should always lead to a personal experience with Jesus. It should always lead to something personal with him, not just some facts about him. Matter of fact, it's so personal. Jesus does not want it to be impersonal knowledge. He wants the knowledge to be so personal that it would actually transform us from the inside out. And the Apostle Paul paints this in a great in, in just with such a great picture in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And the Apostle Paul, guy used to hate Christians, and then became the greatest evangelist, the greatest, one of the greatest guys to, to boldly proclaim the name of Jesus. So if you are here and you're new or it's your first time and you're like, man, I hate this whole thing, so did Paul. But he had a personal experience. And I'm hoping that happens for you today. So he says in Second Corinthians chapter three verse 18, he says, "We all with unveiled face." Now Paul is saying, "As a follower of Jesus, this veil has been removed, that there's nothing obstructing us from the beauty of Jesus. There's nothing obstructing us from seeing him clearly as revealed to us in his living word." He said, beholding as in a mirror. Now, Paul's really not focused on the mirror in this text. The mirror simply is not so much about the reflection, but about the intimacy that comes as you're staring in a mirror. There's a closeness. There's a personal intimacy. And Paul said, so almost as we behold him intimately, as we behold him closely, as we gaze upon the beauty of his face, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is spirit. Now, this text is rich, and we don't have time to dive into this, but this is what I want you to say. This is what I want you to know, is that Jesus wants us to have such a personal knowledge of him that as we gaze upon his face, the Holy Spirit begins to do something on the inside of us that transforms us so we're never the same. This is really encouraging and very discouraging at the same time. And and the reason why it's encouraging is because it's a process. He takes us from glory to glory. The reason why it's discouraging is because it's a process. <laughs> and some of us wish we were a lot further along in that process. And the Lord is shouting, me too, right? <laughs> but but, but this, is, this is so huge as we behold. Because bottom line, if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. As we behold everything he is, we become everything he's called us to be. Paul is saying, as we behold everything that he is, all that he is, as we gaze upon his face, we become. He begins to transform us into everything that he's called us to be. Now, who is this one that we're gazing upon his beautiful face? Well, his name is Jesus. But he has, there's a particular name that when God wants to describe himself from Old Testament on into the New Testament in the person of Christ, he uses this phrase, and if you're taking notes, you might have already know where I'm going, but uh, he uses this phrase, I am. I am. Now, the, the I am, this, this, is, this, is pretty, this is pretty interesting. Steph, can you put that up there for me? The I am, because I want you to see this and how it's translated in the Greek. And the Greek, this isn't lego my ego, it's ego, E-M-I. <laughs> ego, E-M-I, which, which means I am, the self-existent one. The first, the last, the beginning, and the end. The one who always was, will always be. The one who was, who is, and will always be. The Alpha, the Omega, the infinite God of all creation, God Almighty, I am. And, yeah, that's awesome. And, and we see this, God describe himself like this in uh, all the way back to the book of Exodus with a guy by the name of Mo, maybe you've heard of him. Uh, if you've never uh, heard the name Moses, um, you can watch The Prince of Egypt and that'll give you a great, that'll catch you up to speed. <laughs> and it, it's interesting because God has called Moses to go to the most powerful person on the planet and tell him to let his people go. And Moses is like, that doesn't sound like a very good idea. And Moses starts using some, some language. He says, God, who am I to go to Pharaoh? Like, who am I? And God says, that really doesn't matter so much because I'm everything you're not, and I'm everything that you need. I am. So Moses says, okay, God, but who do I tell Pharaoh? Who do I, who do I say has sent me? And for all you type A's that struggle with a little bit of grammar, this might not be perfectly grammar, but he says, tell them that the I am sent you. The I am. Like, that's who I am, the infinite God of all creation, the self-existent one. Go ahead and tell him that the I am. And that's just the truth. He is everything that you're not, and he is everything that you need. The I am. I am whatever it is that you need for satisfaction. I am whatever it is that you need in this moment in your life. I am anything you'll ever want, and I am everything you'll ever need. I am. Now, that preaches really well. But I think because we're in such a fast-paced life, even in church, we can miss the wonder of that name. I heard a story in about a group of people in Sacramento. A pastor was leading a Bible study with some refugees, never heard the gospel, never opened up a Bible. And he's telling the story about when Jesus was out on the Sea of Galilee with his disciples, and the winds are coming, and the waves are coming, and the I Am steps up and says, Peace! right? Be still. And so the pastor goes on and says, he spoke to the waves and they were calm and the wind. Let me tell you how this applies to your life. Well, basically, we go through storms in life. And you know how us preachers do, right? Um, Let me show you how this kind of equates. and, And the guys are just staring at him. He's like, maybe they're not understanding. You know, storms of life, difficulties, challenges, trials. And they said, no, 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 we understand. But you're telling me the wind and the waves obeyed him? Sometimes we just miss the awe of the one that we should behold. And the deeper our awe, the more apt we are to apply what he has spoken. And so we're going to look today at a woman who had some facts about the Messiah but is about to have a personal experience with the Messiah. She had some facts and understanding about the Savior of the world, but she's about to encounter him personally. Some of you guys might know her, she's nameless, but we call her the woman at the well. Now, it's interesting, as we navigate through this woman's story, it's a big text, I can do a whole series just on this text alone, but we're only gonna extract three things that I believe will help us as we um, go over the I am statements in the next seven weeks, It'll help us just from keeping it factual. It'll help us to get personal. So I entitled this little section, uh, Three Paths to Personal, as we embark on this journey together. And so the first one, if you're taking notes, I want you to, to jot this down. And it's, it, it's, it's, it's not gonna be on the board for you, but I, I just want, this is the first point that I want you to really grasp. And it's this, is that if we're going to get personal with Jesus, we have to understand that his love is bigger than our barriers, that his love is bigger than our barriers. Now, let me give you a context as we dive into John chapter four. Jesus is leaving Judea where there's some religious drama going on. How many of you guys know Jesus is not about religious drama, he's trying to reach people? So there was some religious drama going on and he's leaving to go back to his hometown Galilee, his homeland Galilee. Now, there's three routes that Jesus could have taken But we see from John chapter four, verse four, let's go to the text, he says this. Three routes he could have taken, but now, go to the next one step for me, or it might be freezing, so I'm just gonna read. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground where Jacob had a land, where Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. That was a mess. Um, (laughs) But I wanna focus on this first part. Now he had to go through Samaria. Now, this is really interesting because the fact that he had to go really speaks some emphasis that there was something really important in Samaria because this was the route that Jewish people would never take because they hated Samaritans. Samaritans were considered half breeds, um, they were half Jewish and, and half Gentile, so that's what they would call them. Jewish people would call them dogs. Like there were such, there were so many barriers. There were so many barriers, racist barriers, religious barriers, relational barriers that that kept these guys apart. And so Jewish people would never go through Samaria, even though it was the shorter route. They would always take the longer route because they just didn't want to deal with them. Listen, it was said to be so bad, the friction between the Jewish people and the Samaritans, it was to be so bad that they would pray, God, may they never experience the resurrection, Some of you guys have prayed that for somebody. Like, man, once they're gone, let them be gone, Lord. It's wrong. But he said, said, now I had to go through Samaria. Now, his disciples, you could imagine them. He's like, hey, boys, we're going to go to Samaria. They're like, what area? He's like, no, Samaria. They're like, what? And so imagine if you're the son of God, you have three years on the earth or three years of ministry until the cross and the resurrection. Every bit of your time is going to need to be spent wisely. So if he had to go, that means that there must have been a prominent person, a person of influence that was, you know, really important that he meet. And as we get into this narrative, we're going to see that that wasn't the case at all. It was probably the least prominent person that you would think about in the entire region. And it said, they came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Now, Jacob's one of the patriarchs of the faith, uh, character in the Old Testament, um, really important. And let's continue in the text, and it says this, that Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. Now, it's really important and really encouraging uh, to understand a couple of things about this text. Jacob's well is still there today after 4,000 years, still flowing. As we pick up in the text here, it, we're about it's, that well is about 2,000 years old. Still flowing, a landmark today for the people of God. And, and as tired as he was from the journey, he sat down. This is really encouraging. This, let me tell you why this is so encouraging. Because this really shows us both that Jesus was fully God and fully man. And we're seeing his humanity expressed here and the fact that he is tired. Let me tell you why that's so encouraging. Because I know how it feels to have a long day before it's noon. Are you with me? So tomorrow, when you're feeling bad because it's noon and you're already exhausted, just remember Jesus gets it. He understands. You guys alive? Yes. Just check in. All right. So he sat down by the well, and it was about noon. Now, noon is a, is a very significant point in this because it's the hottest day. It's the hardest part, hottest part of the day. Like nobody comes to the well in the noon. Everybody comes in the morning time when, you know, the air is kind of crisp and they get all their water for the day and they, you know, take shelter when it's hot. And so here Jesus is sitting down waiting at a well when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Now, this is already awkward. Like, man, it's the middle of the day, lady. Like, why are you here? You should not be here. It's hot. It's hot. And so right away, the text starts to reveal to us that this woman probably had some issues. She probably was wrestling with a few things, and she was by herself. The ladies never went to the well by themselves. That was the time that they could, you know, talk and, and encourage one another and say how awesome their husbands are. You know, that was, that was, the, that was the, the time. But she apparently wasn't a part of that circle, and we're going to understand why in just a little bit but she was at the well by herself. And Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Now, if you're a Jewish person this time listening to this, this particular past, this Jesus say these things, or if you're hearing this story, you are grabbing your head and your face like, no, no way. Because number one, men did not, deal and and speak with women face-to-face in a public setting, it it just, it it was actually considered by many a waste of time. And not only that, a rabbi would never be meeting with a woman in private, in public, period, let alone a Samaritan woman with issues. And so those who are Jewish who would be listening to this would just be like, oh, this is, this is, no way. And it says, for his disciples had gone into town to buy Chick-fil-A. Let's go to the next one. It says that the Samaritan woman said to him, now look at this. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. And I love this statement from her. She said, how can you ask me for a drink? You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans they don't associate with Samaritans. See, it's technically kind of a bad translation because Jews did associate with Samaritans because the disciples are going into town to purchase some food. But a, a, a better interpretation of the text would say that Jews never asked Samaritans for favors, let alone they would never ask to drink or eat off any of their utensils. Like, not a chance. And so this woman is responding in a way that I think is really quite normal. She's asking, hold on, I'm a Samaritan woman. Why in the world would you wanna be personal with me? What's the catch? Her response to Jesus is gonna be the same response that we get today at Laundry Love. As we go to downtown Pleasanton and pay for people's laundry for two hours from two to four, we're gonna get at least three, three or four people that are gonna walk in and we say, hey, you picked a great day to come to the laundromat. We're gonna pay for your laundry. They're looking for cameras, (laughs) like, or or like, hey, did you put some, like, itching powder in the detergent so we can buy some lotion from you? What's the catch? Because there's some boundaries in our culture, isn't there? Boundaries that say nothing comes for free. And so for this woman, we're gonna find out later that she's been through some stuff. She knows how it feels to be used. She probably knows how it feels to be taken advantage of. She knows how it feels to be abused. And so when her mind, is like, hold on, um, Jesus, did you miss all the boundaries, the religious boundaries, the, the relational boundaries, and the racial boundaries, not to mention I have issues? Like, did you miss that? Why would you want to be with personal with me? What is the catch? And I started to think, isn't this so true that when Jesus begins to move close to us, many times we have set some boundaries in place, some barriers. We've erected some walls in our life because we've been through some stuff. We've wrestled through some issues. And so as he starts to kind of move in close, it's like, hold on, what's the catch? What do you want from me? Like, like uh, imagine Jesus is asking her from a drink, for a drink, and she's saying, no, no, you, like, what, what do you really want from me? And isn't it true that many times, if we're not careful, uh, we can feel like God wants to take something from us rather than want something for us? Isn't that true? And so for her, she's looking, and she's like, uh, this is not normal. And I can see that you're asking me, you're like, you're wanting to take something from me. But Jesus is like, lady, I do not need your water. Like I could speak and the whole like earth shoots up with water. (laughs) I am. I have something for you. Can I just tell you anytime that Jesus or anytime the Lord is asking something from you, it's only because he has something for you. He doesn't need what you have. He is the self-existent one. He is the great I am. But many times we, because of these barriers, we just keep him at a distance and won't let him come close. And so I have a question for you today that I want you to ponder throughout this entire series. And that's what barrier is keeping you from beholding? What barrier is keeping you from beholding The face of Jesus, because I I know how it feels to go through some things, and I know that sometimes I feel like, man, Lord, I don't really believe that that you'd want to be with me. I remember for the longest time, I struggled so much in this area. Even after I surrendered my life to Jesus, I felt like, man, I've done so many horrible things, God, how could you possibly want to be personal with me? And anytime something good was going to happen, I felt like he wanted to take it away from me. And he's like, man, son, I just have something for you. I don't need anything that you have, but you need everything that I have. What barrier is keeping you from beholding? Number two, it's so important that we know him personally. Why? We ha- because we have to know him as the infinite one, or we will see him as the limited one. We have to know him as the infinite one, or we will see him as the limited one. This is so huge, and when I talk about personal, I'm not just talking about personal relationship with Jesus, like unto salvation. Like the moment that you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that personal journey begins, and this journey of intimacy with God begins, but it should be going deeper, more personal, more intimate, more personal, more intimate. So when I say this, we have to know him as the infinite one, or we will see him as the limited one. I think it's going to it's gonna make sense as we kind of unpack this because Jesus looks at her and look what he says. He answered her and he said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. This is so special. Jesus is saying, if you only knew that you are face to face with the I am, if you only knew who it was or who it is that is asking you, you would have asked him. But because she didn't know him as infinite, she saw him as limited. And it shows by her next statement. She said, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with as the well is deep. One pastor said it like this. If you start your sentence with you have nothing to draw with, with Jesus, you missed it. But she says, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is so deep. Now, now, just track with me for a moment. As followers of Jesus, we would never say that we don't believe God is infinite. But sometimes our lives and our prayer life reflect as if he's limited. Like, How many times have we looked at impossible situations in our life in others' lives. As we looked at impossible situations in the world and we said, you know, Lord, just don't you think, I just don't think you have a a big enough bucket for this one. Like, this is a real deep one. Like, I just don't think that you're able to do something in this well. This is far too big. This is a huge circumstance. Surely, God, you don't have anything to draw with and I started to think this woman is is having this conversation she's face to face with the I am and because she doesn't know him as infinite she sees him as limited and everything she needs is right before her eyes let me give you just a a little litmus test right you want to know if if you know God is is infinite or limited look at your prayer life How have you been praying lately? Have you just been praying possibilities? Or have you been praying infinite impossibilities? Have you been crying out to God for things that are impossible? And here's the beauty of this, is when we know him as infinite, even when things don't work the way they should, we have a deep rest and security because we know that he is the I am that is sovereign over all things. And so even in the midst of our pain and brokenness and what feels to be like unanswered prayers, he is limitless, and he is completely in control. So my question to you today is, where have you limited God in your life? As we walk through the series, I want you to ask this question, where am I limiting God in my life? Because we're gonna hear some infinite things about who he is. Where am I limiting God in my life? Look at the woman's response. She said, She's still not catching it. She said, where can I get this living water? And then she kind of takes a stab. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as also his sons and his livestock? This woman could not believe that there was anybody greater than Jacob that erected this well, dug this well, that's been refreshing people for the last 2,000 years, And Jesus is looking at her like, yes, I knitted him in his mother's womb. (laughs) Like, yes, I I know him quite well, and, and I'm much greater than he is. But she just couldn't imagine that somebody greater than Jacob could not only simply exist, but would want to meet with her in that place. Want to meet with her in that place. And so, look what Jesus answered. He said, "Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give, will th- I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life." This is so awesome because Jesus is saying, "Listen, you're so focused on what you're trying to put on the." from the outside in, Jesus is like, I'm trying to do something on the inside of you. I'm trying to do something from the inside out. And I love this spring water welling up because that spring water, a better translation, is a fountain. And it packs, listen, in in the original language, it packs such a punch, like it's powerful, it's energetic, it's mighty, that it's just something that will burst from the inside and you can't contain it. He's saying, man, you're settling You're settling for things on the outside, but I'm trying to establish something on the inside. Something that you could have never imagined welling up that will sustain you not just in this life, not just in this moment, but in the life to come. He said, "If you drink this water, you will never thirst again. So look what she said. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw. So now he's got her curiosity a little bit, right? Now it's like, let me give it a shot. Maybe it's true. Let me just give it a shot. She says, Lord, would you, would you please? But, but in this moment, the conversation is getting more and more personal. She just has no idea. Like Jesus is like, he knows exactly what he's doing. And I think at this moment, for her, it's like, man, that would sure be nice. That would sure be awesome. But I used to think that it was simply just to satisfy her thirst. But when you look at this text, she said, Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty. And look at her last response and have to keep coming here to draw water. She's like, I don't don't really care about the water. I just don't wanna have to keep coming back to this well because remember, it's noontime. Remember, this woman is an outcast. She's not welcomed by the other ladies. She's looked down upon um, by her village. And so what she's saying is every morning, every afternoon when I have to get up and go to the blazing sun, I don't care about the sun. I don't even care about the water, but it's a reminder of my shame, my guilt, and it's a reminder of all of my pain every single day as I wake up and have to come to this well. So can you give me this, not so I can simply quench my thirst, but so that I never have to leave my house? Because what was she doing? She was hiding. And she said, will you give me this so I can just hide deeper? And I love this because this is my last point, is that if we're going to get personal with Jesus, you have to know this as we embark on this journey, is that Jesus won't let you hide behind your hurt. He won't let you hide from your hurt. And she's like, man, I just, if you could just give me this water now. And Jesus says, man, girl, I love you way too much for that. Like, you can come to me as you are, but you're not gonna, I'm not going to leave you that way. And so he goes after the juggler. He goes after the, the, the most vulnerable, the most, the most pain, heart-wrenching, shameful point of her life. And Jesus looks at her and he says, "Okay, you want this water? Go get your husband." She's like, "I don't have a husband." He said, "I know you don't have a husband. In fact, you have had five husbands, and the guy that you're living with right now, he's not your husband." And I, I never even saw this before until this week. And she says, "What you have said is quite true." So I gave her props because she's not in denial but she's still not ready to deal. And so she's like, oh, this is, this is quite true, but you gotta figure out this moment, everything is exposed for her in this moment. I remember, 18 years old, I flew to St. Louis, Missouri when my mom was there with her job to get a vacation. I just thought, I need a vacation. I just need a vacation. And I got there and I ended up going to church with my mom Sitting in the back of a church of about 3,000. And what ends up happening is there was a traveling pastor that was guest speaking that day, and he calls me out from the back of the church. You know, if you're a first time guest, we won't do that to you, I promise. <laughs> Unless God wants us to, then sorry. You'll forgive us later as long as it's real. Um, And he calls me out, and I'm walking down this long journey down to the front of the church. It was a big church, it felt huge. And and he begins to expose my life in a way that I could have never imagined. He says, Young man, two weeks ago that bullet was meant for you, and God has spared your life, and there's no more running from God. I'm like, Are you the FBI? How do you know me? How do you know this? Wide open. And for this woman, this is her moment. She's wide open. He's dealing with the greatest point of her shame. And one of, the, one of the, the mechanisms of shame, what shame tries to do is it tries to hide in two ways. The first one is pride. So she goes right from her heart to her head. And she said, oh, this is awkward. This is way too personal, Jesus. Like we can do the whole like you can, you know, the I am, you can tell me all about yourself, but this is way too personal. So what does she do? She looks at him and this is what she says. She says, the woman said to him, I can see that you're a prophet. I can see, I can recognize that you are a prophet. And our ancestors, so then she goes, she gets theological on him, right? She wants to let him know how smart she is, and she goes deep, you know, deep theologically. She says, well, uh, since we're, you know, talking about, None of this subject. Let's just change the subject and talk about, you know, Jews um, say that they're supposed to worship here. Samaritans say we're supposed to worship there. So, like, what do you say, Jesus? And and Jesus looks at her, and I'm not going to put these passages on the screen, but Jesus looks at her and said, yeah, it's neither there nor there anymore. That true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. And that day is now. So let's get back to this. And then she does what shame does after pride. Then she gets afraid and just wants to shut down and move away. So she ends up saying, no, no, we're not going back there, Jesus. That's a little bit too personal. Um, So you can just keep your distance. When the Messiah comes, he'll tell us all this stuff. Well, (laughs) Jesus kind of looks at the board. I am he. Look what he says, he says, then Jesus declared, I the one speaking to you, I am he. I love this because he wouldn't let her hide. He wouldn't let her hide. He wanted her to experience freedom. He wanted her to experience a a life that she never thought possible, a fountain and camp, you can come up for me. And and she, there's just no, he's just like, no way can I leave you in that place? That's tough. So my question to you is this: what are you hiding that God wants to heal? What are you hiding that God wants to heal? Maybe for you, he would say, Go get that addiction. Go get that pornography. Bring it here. Go get that bitterness. You can bring that this way. Go get that unforgiveness. Go get that heartbreak. Go get that abuse. Go get that pride. go get that fear. Bring it to me. Because I don't want you to hide anymore. And he touches the most vulnerable place in her life, the spot that only he can heal. Only he could heal. And he says, we're going to deal with that today. And it was so awesome because it got personal. Personal experience, way beyond the facts at this point. She's like, oh, it's one of those moments. Oh, my goodness, man. You are him. But something shifts when he says, I am he. Everything that you've needed, everything that you've wanted, everything you've been thirsting for, I am he. And something shifted in her heart in that moment. And so listen, if you're here today, I just have one thing that I want you to do. I'm not gonna have a bunch of next steps for you. I just have one thing that I want you to do is I want you to look at the barriers in your life. I want you to look at the areas where you've limited God. I want you to look at the areas where you're hiding and I want you to ask the Lord one question and it's this question. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down. Give me a drink. Will you give me a drink? Because I get it, you are the infinite one. Your love is greater than my barriers. You're you're infinite, you're not limited. And you don't want to leave me hiding from my hurt. You want to heal me so that I can be free.